This is BJJ Hood tapping into Jiu-Jitsu lives on and off the mats. Hello, hello. We are back. This is the BJJ Hood podcast. I'm Babby, your host. And I'm Shay, your co-host. We're here to share inspirational stories about women in jiu-jitsu and how the martial art changed their lives. Make sure you're following us on YouTube. There's where we have subtitles in Portuguese for all the interviews that are in English and subtitles in English for the interviews in Portuguese. Follow us also on Instagram. That's where we post little snippets of the interviews that we're going to have, little information on our next guests. And of course, follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any new episode. Our episodes come out every Thursday. And again, your support, it's super, super important. So make sure you share our content on Instagram. Make sure you share our episodes so more people can know us and know more about our guests. This week, we have Rose Miller. She's a content creator for an impressive Instagram account. It's packed with valuable jiu-jitsu tips, tricks, and advices. Um, she's also a nutritionist and performance coach. She obtained a IBJJF American National title during her purple belt and has recently received her brown belt last year um, at Atos. Rose is a dedicated practitioner contributing valuable insights to the jiu-jitsu community with her tagline of like, what I wish I knew as a white belt. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff there that I also wish I knew as a white belt too. <laughs> Rosie, welcome to the BJJ Hood podcast. It's a pleasure to have it to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk with you guys and get to know you. Awesome. So Same. we wanted to start just like um, asking you to tell Liz a little bit about your jiu-jitsu story. How did you start? Who brought you to jiu-jitsu? Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny. So I had been in the martial arts world um, for a few years already, but it was through boxing. Mm -hmm. And so when I was a kid, um, I was fascinated by like really strong women and like fighters. And I just thought martial arts was so cool. But I was really dedicated to dance as a kid. I was a competitive dancer and I was too scared to like ask my parents, like, can I switch? Can I, can I do karate? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. And so when I turned like probably 17 or 18, um, I started to pursue it on my own because I was finally like old enough to take myself places. Um, so I started with boxing. And when I moved to San Diego, I joined um, the arena, which is a mixed martial arts academy. And I was only doing boxing there. But after my boxing classes, there was always a jujitsu class that was happening on the other side. And so I would finish my boxing class and I would just be putting my bag together and I would watch the jujitsu classes. And this is around the time that like Ronda Rousey is just dominating in the UFC and I'm watching MMA regularly and I know what's happening when they're on their feet. But when it goes to the ground, I like have no idea what's going on, but instead of like wanting them to get back to their feet, I want to know what's happening. Right. And I just feel completely lost and ignorant. And I'm like, this is fascinating. I need to know what's <laughs> happening. So uh, this is all happening at the same time. And then this girl starts to do jujitsu at the arena and she's a purple belt. And I wish I re could remember her name because I would try to find her online. So it's, By chance, you're watching this and you used to be call a- Call to action. Huh? <laughs> this is a call to action to find this person. I'm just here to let you know that you are a major reason why I started jujitsu because I just saw this girl going in there and I thought she was so cool. 
and she was usually the only girl and something about like the close contact nature of jujitsu just made it seem more badass than boxing like boxing there's like you know six primary punches and you just get better at them and you chain them better and you get faster and stronger and it, boxing is amazing i love it but i don't know there was just something so different about jujitsu that scared me and fascinated me so that was like the first um time that I that I really started thinking like you should do this you're scared of it you you should do this um and so eventually wait, wait, wait. so what oh. what made you scared to do it you know I think I think that it might have been just because I started dance when I was so young I didn't remember being bad at it and then I don't really think I exposed myself in boxing enough to realize I was bad at it. Like I started <laughs> in a small town and so there wasn't like a ton of like competition. And then I came out to San Diego and I was the only girl. So then it was kind of hard for me to know like where I stood and I wasn't super competitive with it. Like I did a couple local smokers, but nothing, nothing to really expose myself. It was more of just like a hobby. And then jujitsu just felt different. It felt like if I did this, I was going to be like serious with it. Like it felt like the mm -hmm. thing I had been looking for. And I saw this girl like working hard and it looked hard. And I was like, yeah. dang, like, do I really mm -hmm. want to accept that challenge? I guess that was kind of like the feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like being exposed and, and being a true beginner at something. Yeah. Um, and it was, that's what, that's why I wanted to do it as well, though. Um, you know, to kind of accept that challenge, be exposed in that way. Um, it, de it definitely, as a white belt, you are vulnerable in so many ways, regardless yeah. of what you've done in the past, right? Even if you were a wrestler, right? And you have grappling experience, like you step on a jiu-jitsu mat as a white belt for the first time, you are as vulnerable as, I don't know, like a fly on a window, right? <laughs> it's about to get smashed. <laughs> yeah. And I so. don't know how, like, I knew that. And and I guess, because, like, I feel like a lot of people start jujitsu and they think, like, oh, it's not going to be that hard. Or, yeah. oh, yeah. they're amazing. like, such a small person can overcome a larger person. But I guess because I had been just watching it for watching. so mm -hmm. long, I was mm -hmm. like, are you actually going to do this? <laughs> like, yeah. it was more nerve-wracking to me than getting hit in the head at that yeah. time. That's um, so funny. For so, yeah. me, getting hit in the head, it's way worse. I never got hit. I never <laughs> did any boxing. And anytime that anybody mentions to me, like, oh, I would love to do MMA or something like that, I'm like, not I me. I don't want anybody hitting this here. <laughs> that's how I am now. Now I'm yeah. like, so that's why I ended up not doing MMA. Because I thought, oh, eventually, like, I'm going to bring, like, grappling and boxing together. Uh-huh. Um, but then I realized, like, if I can do this without getting hit in the head and without getting any more concussions, I'm great. So, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. So did, oh, so you had, uh, sorry, we're derailing from your story right now, but it's, like, so intriguing. <laughs> um, so you had concussions from boxing when you were just doing it as a hobbyist? So I actually, so unfortunately, my concussions haven't been from boxing. I've oh, okay. <laughs> I had concussions when I was a kid, um, just, like you know, doing random stuff. Like I was always a pretty active kid. So like wakeboarding, yeah. I would try to do stupid stuff. And I would like, I landed like on the water yeah. really, really hard going too fast or, oh, got it. um, you know, just always roughhousing, playing, playing flag football. Who gets a concussion playing flag football? Like, 
me because we made it not black football. <laughs> um, Quickly escalated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so mm. those kind of went untreated because I didn't really know anything about concussions at the time. Um, mm. And then just over the years of doing so many active things, you know, the more concussions you get, the easier they are to get and the longer they take to heal from. So now it's actually become like a very significant thing in my life that I have to be careful with. Um, mm. And I have gotten a couple from jujitsu, but mostly from like being thrown or practicing judo, um, uh. stuff like that. Just like kind of that whiplash feeling. Um, yeah. And usually from like accidents, like not even like it always happens. I know it's something stupid that shouldn't that shouldn't affect you. You're um, like, how does that even happen? <laughs> but now you don't want to get hit in the head. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. We won't derail you anymore. Yeah. You can continue. <laughs> All good. So yeah, so I had like seen this girl training jujitsu. I was like, she's really cool. I want to be like her. Like, that's dope. Um, and then at this time, I had recently moved to San Diego, didn't know a lot of people. So I'm just like talking to anyone who will talk to me trying to make friends. And I go to the same Trader Joe's every week. And there's this guy who has cauliflower ear. And I'm like, he trains jujitsu. Or he's a wrestler, one or the other, but he does something, right? And so I start talking to him and he starts talking about jujitsu. I believe he's a brown belt. And this is another one. Trader Joe's dude. If you were a brown belt and you had some random girl always asking you about jujitsu, that was me. I finally started. This is like 10 years ago too. So um he's telling me, man, you know, there's so many good jujitsu academies in San Diego. You should really, you know, you should do it. I'm like, maybe. And he says, you should go to Leticia Hibiero's gym in um, South Bay. And so I have that name in my head. And then um, my boxing coach at the arena, his name was Lucky. He very unexpectedly passed away um, from an asthma attack. And I was just kind of like, man, I loved boxing. I liked boxing, but it, it never felt like the thing I really wanted to pursue. Um, it felt like an introduction to this world that I had always been like fasting stone yeah it was like it was like my foot in the door I had people in my life back home who boxed and so that was like an easy way for me to get into it and um so the owner of the arena or the manager of the arena he was like man Rose you should just like I see you watching jujitsu all the time you should just like do it he's like it's actually kind of unlike you to spend so much time watching I was like you mm -hmm. know what you're kind of kind of have a point there and he said um he was like go try two gyms he said go try autos and go try uh gracie south bay with leticia hibiero and at this point i've heard leticia's name twice so i start yeah her, and i'm like she's cool mm -hmm. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> down there and i had um i had a like little 30 minute one-on-one -on -one intro lesson and i was just hooked I was like, I love you. I love this place. I love the sport. I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to do it all the time. Um, and so that's how I that's how I got started. Do you think um, dance and boxing kind of prepared you to jujitsu in some way? Like, do you think you could take anything from either boxing or dancing that you could could use in your jujitsu? Not just on the like physical part, but also the mentality that you had. Yeah, for sure. So I think. Growing up dancing, like I was a very competitive dancer. So 
you know, I see these girls training at Autos now. They were, you know, the juvenile team last year. They're in the adult divisions this year, but like they're all homeschooled. They are, you know, traveling to all the majors to compete and their whole lives are jujitsu. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how I felt with dance. I was going to dance practice twice a day, um, competing, traveling, performing, and it was my whole life. And I did that from the time I was like three years old. And so um, it taught me about like dedication, I guess, over mm-hmm. long periods of time. Um, I see jujitsu, like when I'm competing, I kind of see it as a performance, as like a way to express myself. I'm not really nervous about being in front of people, which I think is nice. Now, jujitsu does have this other component of it being one-on-one and it's Mm -hmm. not choreographed and anything can happen. And I think that's where boxing really helped me, you know? Um, And so I I do think that they helped me know how to dedicate myself to something, know how to do hard things. And then jujitsu just kind of upped it a notch because it was the first time that I really allowed myself to, you know, be exposed and risk failure. Um... I'd been doing dance so young, I hadn't really remembered experiencing that. And like I said, yeah. with boxing, I never really allowed myself to test myself. Um, so awesome. it helped, but jujitsu definitely took it up another level. Yeah, yeah. there's a, definitely a, a trend of all the stories that we're hearing. Um, and a lot of people that are like solely like dedicated, they have this like past of like a prior kind of, you know, childhood sport or whatever they were doing that really like built the foundation of like who they are today. It's pretty, pretty neat. Like, just like looking from my like perspective of how I grew up, like my parents were not dedicated people. So I didn't have that fundamental thing, you know, and I can see how that carries over into my life today. Like not to say that I'm not successful, but it's just a different, you, the people that we're interviewing that are like knee deep in jujitsu and live and breathe jujitsu as you do um, just have this like, just this fundamental core foundation of dedication that I'm like, how, how do I obtain that? (laughs) I want that. (laughs) I mean, there's a good and a bad to it too. Maybe not a good and a bad, but there's pros and cons to any type of lifestyle, right? Like actually reading this book right now that I highly recommend, and it's called How Champions Think. And Mm. you talk about, you know, people who want to be excellent at things are become very singular focused. And Mm. there's no real such thing as balance, right? Mm. And then, so for me, especially, like, I started jujitsu a little, I don't know, later compared to, like, starting when you're five, (laughs) you know, like, I started in my 20s. Well, that's a new thing, I think, right? Like, we didn't have the opportunity uh, in our age bracket. I mean, definitely, I'm older than you guys. And so, like, that wasn't. In the 90s and early 2000s, like jujitsu wasn't like this well, most like, popular thing that everybody. Big, yeah. No, was, and there wasn't. It was getting studi- here at that time. Yeah, right? it was just getting here and there wasn't studios at every corner, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't think we started late. We started right. exactly when it was available. <laughs> brackets. Have to put it in brackets. Like now there's yeah. a wave where, okay, it's becoming this thing where you start when you're a kid, right? Yeah. Which is awesome. Um, but I think like I've been so singularly focused on dance. That was just like the mode I knew how to operate mm. from. Like I didn't have mm. another switch. And I think part of that was actually because my family, I have a big family. There's five mm-hmm. kids. We are mm-hmm. like, my parents are 
awesome. They gave us a ton of freedom, but I actually think as a kid, I wanted more discipline. Structure. Like I wanted structure. I, I grounded myself when I was <laughs> in elementary school <laughs> because I just wanted some kind of <laughs> structure. Boundaries? That's oh. um, yeah. I was like, teach me boundaries. And so I was a kid who like would impose that on myself. Um, and I think I really wanted an activity that gave me that structure too, which I think is part of the reason, even as an adult, that I was drawn to jujitsu. I'm like, sure belt system, check, accountability, right? Then you get into it and you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted that type of accountability. Yeah. Um, but as I got into jujitsu, I was like, wow, like, can you be successful at this or can you do this and become good at it and also have balance in your life? Which I feel like over the last few years, like, I like want to spend time with my family. I don't want to skip those trips anymore and kind of exploring like what that looks like too. Mm -hmm. I think it is so important because it's so easy to become singularly focused. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, a, and also the, a trend that I'm seeing is the structure portion of it. Yeah. People are drawn to jujitsu, martial arts in general, but um, when we're talking to everybody with doing jujitsu it's they want that structure in their life because they didn't have it previously I find it very interesting and enlightening I mean I I think I thrive in that kind of environment and it's actually Mm -hmm. harder for me (laughs) to like not have routine and boundaries so it's been an interesting thing like when you get injured and then suddenly you don't have that that routine and that structure yeah yeah having to create that in a different way um I think yeah, is a is a really interesting thing. Yeah, there's something that you said that it, it got me thinking about the kids, for example, because you started in dance really, really early at three, and nowadays we see kids starting jujitsu really, really early at like three. Do you think if you had started dance a little later, that would have helped you to stay with it, or you just think it's because it wasn't your thing, um, and that by the time that you realized it wasn't mm-hmm. your thing, you just moved? Because I see. There's the both sides, right? There are those kids that they're going to start jiu-jitsu, for example, and they're really good and they're just going to homeschool and compete and travel. And the parents are really like focused on giving that opportunity to them to like experience all of that. And there's the other side of kids that start really early. They're not competitors. They're doing jiu-jitsu just as a hobby or like another sport. And then at some point when they start getting into their teenage years, that's when they're like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. And they kind of like, give up some of them I see them coming back after a few years when they start getting into their like adult years like 18 19 um but we kind of lose a lot of them and this way sometimes because they started too early and now they're just bored because they have been doing this for a long time and not having the opportunity to do other stuff right yeah like do you feel that happened to you with this or was just a case of like yeah that's not for me it's not my thing So I actually wanted dance to be my, I thought dance was going to be my career. I thought dance was going to be my life. Um, And I started when I was three and I danced all the way through college. I pretty much danced all the way until I moved to California. Um, Mm. And so that was when I was 23. So I danced for about 20 years. Um, And in the last few years of that, I did start to get interested in other things like boxing. Um, And I think part of the reason I never got really competitive with boxing was because I still had I was still in dance, you know, and I've been doing it so long, but I think in general, the research shows that it's actually really good to start kids in different sports, um, and just work on their motor skills. 
for example, mm-hmm. right? Get them moving, get them playing, do things that they have fun with instead of um, hyper-focusing on on one sport. I think mm-hmm. we see with kids that are the most successful in sports, they've had some degree of variety. Variety. <clears throat> I think for me, I, I did play different sports growing up, but dance was always the one that I loved the most. But for me, the reason I left dance was because, and this is actually something that I love about jujitsu, especially in like the 90s, there was, in the early 2000s, just such a focus on being small and having a certain body type as a dancer. And I'm short. I'm only 5'2". And looking back on what I looked like when I was a teenager, I actually was very small. I was very skinny, but I never felt like I fit the mold of what a dancer should look like. My mom's Colombian. I'm a little bit curvier than some of the other girls were at that age, you know? And I saw that as a negative thing. And it really pushed me away from pursuing dance. I would be in auditions and they would tell me I was too short or, you know, make just all the comments about your body was really hard for me to handle. So then Mm -hmm. I turned to strength training and jujitsu where, man, let's see what my body can do instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, what size I am. Um, so I think more than anything, that was it for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we were talking in, when you were talking about your story, you got like into Leticia's gym and I think that's an amazing thing. Like, I I don't know if you realized at the time that you were getting into her gym and who she was and like how big, um, and important she is for the jujitsu community too. Uh, a lot of the girls that we talk to, even like the girls that we know, when they start jujitsu, they don't have that opportunity of having like even women in their gym. And then you had the opportunity to have a woman black belt that is like a world champion. I don't even know how many times. Um, that's amazing at what she does. And that has a big group of women at her gym. Um, how did that feel for you having that um, type of environment where you could? grow as a white belt with a lot of different women and especially good women in jiu-jitsu competitors that are like really tough yeah man it was amazing I think I started at the right gym at the exact right time um both for my jiu-jitsu and just for my personal life I had pretty much zero friends in San Diego when I started jiu-jitsu and her gym just gave me um a, a group of friends that I felt like knew me and who I knew and could trust. So just from a social aspect, that was really powerful. Um, I definitely appreciated the level at her academy, like having Bia there. Uh, eventually, Gabby McComb joined. Obviously, Leticia, you know, um, mm-hmm. just all these amazing athletes to learn from. I especially appreciate that in hindsight, realizing how many women don't have that because it was just yeah, the yeah. norm for me. Um, but I mean, it was incredible. I mean, as a white belt, people tell me now, like, Rose, you're like, it's really hard to score on you. I'm like, well, because all white belt and almost all of my blue belt was spent with like, Bia, like, <laughs> my back and getting in clothes, getting in her clothes guard, which is a place you don't want to be ever, especially yeah. as a white belt. Um, and so it was like really, really tough training from the start, um, yeah. which I'm just super grateful for, you know. Everyone has their own journey, and eventually I left for, mm. for my own reasons, but I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything, and I only have good things to say about that gym. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I I do have a question though, because I I see we've kind of touched on it in other podcasts, but um, sometimes, you know, women are their worst enemies, right? And um, being such like a dominant woman, like Jojo, um, what were the like the politics like, you know, because we have, you know, every gym, I think sometimes you have like these group of people regardless if it's men or women right of like politics and who hangs out with who like how how does that look in like a more female dominant dojo like only yeah honestly it was a really positive environment um all the girls were really close um like I said, they be they became my best friends. And the thing with Leticia's gym is it's not like Autos is huge. And I love training at Autos. Um, but it's so big, not everyone can be close, you know? Uh, um yeah. at South Bay, especially at the time that I joined, it was still small enough that everyone was pretty much taking the same classes and everybody knew everyone and it really did feel very tight knit. She also has a really strong um, kids program. And so we get a lot of kids training and their parents. And so it was just kind of like this very family oriented environment. I felt I didn't really feel like there were clicks. Um, And I think that she really worked hard to avoid that because I think probably like coming up and before she created that gym, she might've experienced some of that. but yeah, honestly, it was really pretty chill. <laughs> That's how, awesome. how do you think she avoided that? I, like, what did she do to create that family atmosphere? And yeah, inclusiveness? Um, I don't know. I think just the people that she would bring in and uh, discourage certain people from joining the team. Even she had boundaries with people. Um, uh, she didn't want it to become a competitive thing between the girls on the team. Um, yeah, I just remember it being a very loving, positive environment, to be honest. Yeah, that's so that's cool. a thing that I think that's hard for the owners of the gym is to understand that sometimes you don't want that person in your gym, you exactly. know? It's going to bring way more problems than it's just a membership. Like, you can yeah. get more people if you don't have that person at your gym. Yeah, so I actually used to um, help in the kids' classes at her gym, and I managed the front desk. And I remember, like, if I saw someone had left their team, I'd be like, oh, we should, like, you should contact this person. And she'd be like, nope, we're not going yeah. to. Be like, oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. uh-huh. like, she had very, like, like, she didn't need to bring anyone else in. Mm-hmm. You know, she liked what she had. She didn't feel like she, she knew her worth. She knew what she had accomplished. Nine-time world champion. You know, be a mosquito, now 10-time world champion. So yeah. I think she just knew that she didn't need to, like, add to that roster. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, I, I learned a lot being there, for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, being on that environment with a lot of women, um, you probably saw a lot of them coming in and leaving, stop training. Um, what are the things that you think one make people stick, especially women, stick with jujitsu, right? Because um, I I think it's different for each person, but I kind of also see like a little pattern of people that really love the close contact or that they love to fight. They will. Um, most likely stay in jujitsu, but we also see a lot of people that in the first like months, I would say for six months, that's when they start dropping and and stop doing it. What do you think that happens in that time that makes women want to leave jujitsu, stop doing jujitsu, and also like what do you think that we as women that do jujitsu that are on the mats there every day can do to help those people to stay, right? 
Yeah. I think a sense of community is really important. I even see this at Autos. Like Autos being a bigger gym, we have new people come in all the time. I probably see this more at Autos now just because I have a larger sample size mm-hmm. and I'm more experienced now. So I think it, I'm like more aware. aware. Um, so I think creating a strong community is really important. Even if you can't be close to the whole gym, if it's too big, like finding the people there that you do relate to and you can trust, I think it's really important in making people feel welcome. Um, I think for, especially at a gym like Autos, it's easy to be very, very competitive. And I think if you get too competitive too early on, like I'll see white belts and blue belts come in and they're training like literally every class going, you know, super hard every class, like you will burn out, you will get frustrated because you will get injuries. And you have to understand that like, you still need to be able to have fun in training and you still need to take care of yourself and listen to your body. And if you're coming into that environment as a hobbyist or someone without a strong desire to compete or just a desire to compete because it's, it's fun and you're curious, then to also understand that like, you don't have to compare your performance to anyone else's. Um, I see this a lot. Just, I feel like Southern California, you guys probably know, just like the jujitsu environment here, I think is different than a lot of other places in the world. And I think it's really important to remember like why you started, what your goals are. And it's okay if they are different from the person next to you, you cannot judge yourself based on someone else's like goals and credentials. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think for you yourself as a new person coming in, creating community and, and not comparing. And then as someone already at this academy, you know, helping people, making them feel welcome, working with them, reassuring them that it's okay to like, like suck at first. Like everyone, everyone is like that. And those days never really stop, you know, it's kind of like this unifying experience. So I think if you like set Set your, I don't want to say set your expectations too high because, you know, you want to, you want to improve, but like, you can't yeah. take your failures too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love true. when you say that of the comparison. And um, I also think there is other thing. It's like, I don't remember getting into jujitsu. I see a lot of people doing this um, at my gym where they come in and they're like, how long does it take for me to get a black belt? And I'm like, <laughs> relax. <laughs> It's yeah. like, just relax. You, you didn't even start. You're already worried about how long it's going to take to get your black belt. Like, do you just want to get your black belt and stop training? I don't know if that's a good thing to do. Like, I don't remember getting into jujitsu and thinking of myself as a black belt. Of course, I wanted to get my first stripe on my white belt. And it took me a year to get that. But it's like, how much was I putting in? right? Like how much was I giving myself to jujitsu to really earn that stripe and how far it is from your first stripe until you get your black belt. And yeah. I did, it could take like seven years. That's a minimum, minimum, minimum time, but we never know. You might get injured. That's going to take you out of jujitsu for 10 years. Like it happened yeah. to Shay. You mm. might have, I don't know, you might get pregnant and it's going to take you out of jujitsu for two years. Anything can happen in your life that you might have to stop or even just like jujitsu life. It might not be seven years. You might suck at it for a little longer and you'd have to wait a little longer to get promoted. Like you might not be ready for that. Like, but you know, it could take 10 years. It could take 20 years. If you get there with that expectation of when I'm going to be and how, how long it's going to take for me to like achieve this goal and I get the check mark, 
it's not going to be fun. Just yeah. have a really good goal of like why you were there and why you want to do that. And that's going to take you a long way, right? I say too, like you can't let your belt uh, limit your jujitsu or justify your jujitsu. You yeah. can't say, like, I feel like the people who come in and they're like, how long does it take to get a black belt? Because they haven't started, they don't understand yet that you have to pursue the knowledge instead of the belt. You have to want that process more than you want the belt. Um, and something that Professor Galvao says all the time is he's like, from day one, operate like a black belt, you know, like stop waiting for that color to be around your waist to hold yourself to that standard, like actually yeah. try to learn jujitsu, you know, carry yourself with the same respect that you would when that happens. Because yeah. if you keep going, like you're going to get there and you, you want to practice that mindset from from day one and so being very process oriented i think is important instead of results oriented that's something mm -hmm. i work a lot on with my clients too is focusing more on the process of everything then you know the process will lead to progress as long as you stay consistent yeah. with it it might take for some people it'll take a few months to see progress for some people it'll take a few years yeah and you can't worry about how long it's gonna take you just have to be willing to stay consistent with it it's yeah. with everything, right? Like I, my boss um, says all, to me all the time, just trust the process. Just trust the process. Just it's wait, so trust the process. <laughs> it's hard. I was like, oh, okay, I'm trusting the process. Trust <laughs> it. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, it's really hard. And that's the thing that I wanted to touch right now. I think it's also hard when you have the injuries and you did, you did go through this like, hard bumps on your jujitsu journey like you had the mcl meniscus injury like i think you went through surgery too right for mm. for it how was like your, the the recovery process and like how did you mentally prepare i don't know if you prepared before the surgery or if you had to kind of like work on that as you went through the recovery process because like you said it's really easy for us to get so involved with jujitsu and like so focused on that and then when it, something happens and you can't do jujitsu it's really really hard like for me i i'm there every day at the gym like i help at the gym too so i'm there every day when i can't be there it feels so hard. Even when I take like a week off, it's like it's itching inside me. I need to go back, right? Yeah. I never had an injury like that that took me away for a long time. But like, how did that feel for you? And like, how did you work through that? And even like, if you have any advices for people that are going through that process right now. Yeah. So I've had two, I'd say two significant injuries. So I had my ACL and my meniscus, and then I had have my concussions. And the reason I bring up both of them is because I've handled them very different ways. Um, so with my ACL, that was when I was a blue belt. I was training like three, four times a day at this point, um, living and breathing jujitsu, like living in fighter houses, working as little as possible so I could train as much as possible, like obsessed. Um, and so it was such a like abrupt change for me. And it was the first time I had experienced that. And at that point, my mindset was just do whatever I can to get back on the mat. 
do whatever I can to continue learning. Um, and I think it was really good to go through that experience and understand I can have training taken away from me in this aspect and I can still be invested and involved. I still, I think it was a beneficial way to handle it for me at that time. I did put off surgery for a year. Um, I have a feeling that I tore my ACL and um, I kept training. I was very limited on what I could do. I was mostly like playing guard uh, for a while. I was strength training a lot to try to cope with it. Um, and then about a year after that, I had another event. And I think that's when I tore my meniscus. And that's when I finally had surgery. Because at that point, like I couldn't straighten my leg. It was just like very obvious that I was injured. Um, and so I did prepare for surgery. I did strength training leading up to surgery. And then after surgery, I basically made rehab my sport. Um, I still showed up to class. I watched, I was still in that environment as much as possible. I was watching jujitsu. I was taking notes. I was working at the gym. So I was always there still. And that was honestly really helpful for that phase in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't think everyone needs to handle it that way. But I think if you feel like, man, I really want to be there. I really want to continue learning. It's possible. You know, it is completely possible to stay involved in that environment, even if you can't train the way you want to train. Um, and so I think people knowing like, go, like be with those people, watch the classes, like it will pay off. Um, watching jujitsu actually translates a lot. I learned a lot during that time, probably more than I would have if I was rolling because I was more paying attention to like the intellectual side of jujitsu. Mm -hmm. Now, the ACL was pretty clear cut because they give you like a timeline to expect. And sure, it varies a little bit person to person, but I knew, hey, in about a year, I'm very, very safe to go back to training and competing. And I think it was like 13 months after my surgery, I competed. Horrible. Was like, did not trust my body. <laughs> but I did it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was also a cool experience. Now with my concussions, I've handled it very differently. And I think COVID even influenced a little bit how I handled this. Um, but with my concussions, sorry, I don't know if you can hear my dog. She's like mm -hmm. freaking out back Just there. a little. Just a little just bit. Just a little bit. That's fine. Um, so with my concussions, the timeline isn't as clear. And it just feels different knowing it's my brain and that certain things will trigger my symptoms for no apparent reason. And so with my concussions, like I'm still training, I'm still, um, I, I want to get back to competing, but I don't fully trust myself to compete yet. Um, and so it's different because I'm not, I'm not off the mat. I'm still on the mat, but it's taught me how to approach training just differently. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and train how I can instead of maybe how I want. And pursue other interests. Like if my symptoms come on, sure, I might not be off the mat for a year like I was with my ACL, but I might be off the mat for a week or two uh, to let my symptoms die down. And now hopefully these phases are behind me, but before that would have put me into a downward, downward spiral. But mm. now I'm like, oh, there's other things I can do that I can, that I enjoy. I can go dance. I still do Latin dancing. You know, I can, um, read more. I can invest more in my clients and, and just realizing there's all these other pieces of me that I believe ultimately still help my jujitsu and improve my jujitsu and certainly make mm -hmm. me a better person when I go mm -hmm. back. 
but I don't tie as much of my identity and my self-worth to how many times a day can I train? Because I know that sometimes like if, if my symptoms are there, I'm not going to risk that. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully it's been a while since I've had to deal with it to that extent, but it is something I had to learn how to be okay with. And I think yeah. it's really important to be able to do that and remember mm-hmm. There's other worthwhile things in life. Jiu-jitsu is like this very meaningful thing, but it's supposed to make your life better. It's not supposed to like limit you, right? Yeah. You said something that that Shama said on her episode. I just wanted to point that out because um, it it opens your mind every time I see somebody saying this. It kind of helps to like remind us um, jiu-jitsu is just a part, a piece of your life. Competition is just a little piece of what jujitsu is in your life. Like, don't make yourself so focused. Don't don't think that yourself is just worth it if you're competing and winning and everything. That's just a teeny tiny piece of your life. So you can't do that. Either do the way that you can, or just go do something else. I'm sure you love other stuff. Like, focus a little bit on the other stuff. Like you said, for your symptoms, it's not a long period, thankfully. So you can just like shift for like a week or two and then go back into it slowly. And I don't know like how hard it is for you because I, I we feel that like you kind of shifted a little bit from competition probably because of your symptoms that you had to. Uh, making that shift to an understanding that it's just a matter of time, you know, like kind of like explaining that to yourself and making yourself understand like, I love this, I love the competition, but right now I can't do that. Like, what can I do? with my time right now. Right. Yeah. It was a big shift because I was competing, you know, every month, really loving it. And it was pretty much, um, it was, happened at purple belt. And after the initial like bigger concussion that I had, um, I went about a year and I started feeling like, okay, I'm ready to get back to competition. And then I had another big concussion. I got thrown very hard and, um, it made me realize like, I want to have a hundred percent confidence when I go to compete that either one, I'm okay getting reconcussed or two, I have enough confidence in myself and in my recovery that I don't have to worry about it. And I really had to make my goal not to be getting back to competition. And I had to shift my goal back to, I just want to be really good at jujitsu and I'm happiest when I can train and competing is really, really cool. And I love it. But if I had jujitsu taken away from me, that would really suck. And so really reminding myself of what my priorities are. Um, And I remember Adam Wardzinski posted something similar around COVID. Like he posted something along the lines of, I really love to compete, but ultimately I just, I just like to train. I just love jujitsu. And I really, really felt that. And I, it actually makes me more excited to compete one day if I ever get to again, because I feel like I'm in such a better mental space. Like it's going to be fun. It's going to be for me. There's going to be absolutely no pressure because there's definitely been a period of time where I didn't know if I'd ever be able to get back to it. So, um, I think being able to really have that appreciation for it instead of a pressure behind it is ultimately going to be super helpful. And I don't think everyone needs to go through like a long-term injury to get there. Um, But it definitely makes it more real and more apparent um, that man, at the end of the day, just like being able to train and being on the mat is what I care about the most. Anything else is just like extra for me. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Um, on your, we want to like shift a little bit now for your like business side of jujitsu. Um, and going into your Instagram account, like when did you start that, and like how did it came with the idea of bringing those like positions? And um, you're you're big now in on Instagram with a lot of followers. Also, like how does that feel of you being? Um, an example when people following you and trying to like learn from you from there too man it's cool I have to say it's really cool it's nothing that I really like intended uh to do it was more something that I did for fun um so I started the page almost two years ago maybe like a year and a half or a little more than a year and a half ago and I started it because I wanted to make my other page just focused on nutrition and strength training and like life and you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and so I'm going to put my jujitsu content somewhere else. And that'll just be like my small like burner account. And then it exploded mm -hmm. and it felt really good. Cause I've always, um, one, I am a very curious person and I like learning things and I feel like I learn things better as I'm able to teach them. So it gave me this platform that was helping me learn, helping me understand my knowledge, getting asked good questions, um, and being able to like share that in a, in a really, really cool way. And I'm like, just honestly amazed and humbled that it has touched and reached and helped so many people. Um, I think that's awesome. That's like exactly what I, would hope to do, but I wasn't even really trying, I guess. So it's just cool that me doing something that I really enjoy resonated with people and helped people feel less alone. Because ultimately what I want to help people do through whether it's like coaching or jujitsu or teaching jujitsu, I want to help people understand what they're capable of. Because I think a lot of people are like, they don't realize, you know, like yeah. you can do these hard things and and it's hard to stick with them, but you can do it. And I want to be a safe space for people to like explore and express that. Um, That's so, cool. so it's, yeah. it's been, it's been awesome. I was actually in target the other day and I'm in the bathroom and I saw a couple girls. They were like, I don't know if they were kids and they had the autos rash guard on and I'm like washing my hands and I just look at them and I go, Oh, I trained at autos. And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah. And then I walk outside and their dad's there and they're like, we watch your videos. And I was like, that's <laughs> That's cool. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, so, so just cool. like it, yeah. I I I hope I help people. <laughs> you do. You That's what I do. Um, for like that's kind of your your thing on Instagram. It's kind of like helping the white belts, like what you do or not to do. What are, would be like your biggest advices? One for women that are stepping on the mat at the first time and starting jujitsu. And also your advice for the men that are training already, but they're going to train with those new women. Like, what would be those two advices? Yeah. So, gosh. Okay. So advice for women stepping on the mat. Like, it's going to be hard. It is jujitsu. Like, it is, it is physical. It is tough. And... To kind of just to like embrace that challenge, it's going to be harder for the women stepping on the mat at first, especially if you're at a gym with primarily male training partners, um, but to stick with it. When you start being able to pull off your techniques on men, like it, there's going to come a point where you are more experienced than other people on the mat. That point will happen. It may not happen fast, but it will happen. And please stick with it to feel that feeling when you finally 
are able to do some techniques on some dude who's bigger than you coming into the gym, right? Like it will happen and it will be yeah. super fulfilling. Also to like seek out female training partners, even if they're from other gyms, go to open mats, seek out training with women, uh, set up your own training and, and you can create your own community. Um, I think that that's really worthwhile for women. You don't have to feel limited to like, man, there's no girls in this class at this gym that I go to. You don't have to switch gyms. You don't have to switch classes that you go to, but you can seek additional experiences, right? Yeah. The last thing I would say for the women is you don't have to roll with anyone you feel unsafe with. I get this question a lot and it's actually something that I've been wanting to answer on my page of, you know, how do I ask someone to roll differently with me? In my honest opinion is that you don't because even if you ask that person to roll differently with you, you can't trust that what you mean by you're going too hard is what they will do. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. you have to take ownership for your training in that sense. Now you don't have to roll with that person still. So yeah. instead of asking that person to change how they roll, I think you can express, I don't feel the safest rolling with you. I felt really vulnerable in these ways. And if they change out of their own accord, awesome. But you have to take ownership for your own safety to either avoid that round, roll in a way that protects you, but you cannot expect someone to change how they are, the way that they roll and, and, and think that it matches your expectation too. That's something I've had to learn with injuries, um, rolling injured. So taking ownership for your own training and knowing you don't have to roll with anyone. Yeah. Um, I just wanted oh. to add one more thing there um, that, that that I tell to the girls at my school. It's like, I'm a brown belt too. And I know those people that I'm training with for like, I don't know, five years, six years. So I have already like a relationship. I know who's safe, who's not, who I like to train with, who I don't. But a lot of the times, um, like at our gym, the women choose first their partner. So that helps a lot. Um but there is one thing that a lot of the times maybe I get there a little late and I end up being partnered with somebody like a man that is a blue belt, 250 pounds. I'm like, hell no, I'm not going to train with him. He's going to hurt me. Even if he's trying to be nice, just because he's so heavy and he doesn't have that, the technique that it's required yet, he might just hurt me by accident. Yeah. And I'm not going to risk that. So what I do, I call my professor. Hey, switch. I don't yeah. even tell the guy anything. I'm like, just switch me. I'm like, I, I don't. And then he's like, okay, I don't like this partners here. I'm going to just switch. And he gives me somebody else. So that's, that's what I tell. Yeah. I tell a lot of the people, like, you don't have to tell the person if you don't, because it's kind of uncomfortable too for you to yeah. get to somebody and be like, I don't want to roll with you. Like, bye. Uh, but tell your professor or tell me I'm all, if I'm there, I'll tell the professor. I'll help. Right. Like tell yeah. somebody. Ask the other women on the mat too. Yes. Hey good round you yes. know um I, especially when we have visitors i try to make a point of you know helping them choose Happy, good round. Yes. you don't know because there are men on the map who i love training with and who are very good training partners but if you're coming in especially to a new gym and you don't know um also as a white belt woman who's coming in usually not all the time but typically like brown and black belt men are awesome to roll with and i know yes. it can be intimidating to yeah. ask them to roll and some gyms have rules against that but get to know those people on the yeah. mat too um and i know that you know they'll probably open up to to work with you because ultimately at least what i found visiting a lot of gyms is people are more willing to help than they, they may 
think. Yeah. Um, you don't have to feel bad for being a white belt. <laughs> yes. And that's what I tell about. Don't pick another white belt because that's when you're going to get hurt. You are both not knowing what you are doing with yes. your bodies. It's You're just using strength. You're going to get hurt. Go for the black belt. I, and they're like, I don't think they want to row with me. They probably don't. They want to have a hard training, but they don't care if you choose them because they also want to help you, you know? So like you can get, a, you can get something out of rolling with so many different yes. people. Like, especially like, I feel like the blue and purple belt men are more like, I don't want to roll with you, but I feel like brown and black belt men and women, obviously, they're like they're going to make it yeah. productive, yes. you know? They they can so, do something and kind of learn, yeah, learn from. Yeah, they need to work on their flows and stuff. Yes, yeah, there are that's some what that, I see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that's what I would tell women. That was a lot, but I love yeah. your, <laughs> telling the professor. Um, yeah. I think lots of people might feel like, oh, I'm not allowed to like ask for that. Mm-hmm. You're, you are allowed to feel safe on the yeah. mat. You should feel safe on the mat. Yeah. Um. So because if you get I, hurt. After you were hurt, I can't do anything about it. Advocate I can do before. For, like, advocate for yourself. You can't trust yeah. anyone to change how they're going to roll, but you can set those boundaries. Yeah. So. Um, I had one time where there was a guy, um, he, he, uh, he's extremely tall. He's like, when I say extremely tall, he's like probably what, six, five, six, seven, like he is huge. <laughs> and he was a lot, like, for whatever reason, I, that was the only person to pair up for like technique, right? I was like, oh, okay, we'll see how this works. <laughs> and you're and we t- tell your tell your height because it's I'm hard to tell. Five five. I'm okay. five five. So this like he was a huge yeah. dude, like not heavy but huge. And so he just kind of looked like, oh okay. So we started pairing up, and um, like I think I tried to do like a technique a couple times, and I was like, this this isn't working. And so I just like looked at. I think it was Francisco. I was like, Francisco, let's switch. <laughs> and it was right in the middle of what they were doing and what we were doing. But there was just no way that like this pair is yeah. going to like work. You know, yeah. you, it just you couldn't do it. Like his legs were to the ceiling, you know. <laughs> so yeah. anyhow, to, to all the women out there, like, don't be afraid, even if you're like in the midst of it, like ask. Um, because it is possible and people are nice and they're like, oh yeah, yes. totally. Like I could see how this is not working for you guys. Yes. Yeah. So. They will understand pretty well. Yeah. Um, Rosie, I wanted to ask you about your coaching program. Like how does that work? And, um, if somebody is interested on, um, doing that with you, how would they talk to you? Like come up to you? Yeah. So I am primarily a nutrition and strength coach. It's all online. So no matter where you are located in the world, my clients are all over the U.S. and also international. Um, You can work with me. Um, We jump on a 30 minute strategy call that's totally free, totally like no obligation, just so we can get to know each other. Um, And I kind of just, you know, tell you how I work, how I can how I can help if I can help this individual and their specific needs. Um, I really help. I like helping people understand food. Like I'm not here to be a drill sergeant. I'm here to be a guide, right? I'm not here to, you know, make you follow certain rules. I'm here to teach you concepts and give you a compass so that you can feel empowered on making decisions for yourself when you're out in the world and knowing they're the decisions that are going to help you improve your life in the way you want to, whether it's around food, whether it's around strength training, whether it's for fat loss, whether it's for performance or just general health. Um, I'm 
do not like diet culture. And that is the reason I got into nutrition coaching, because I think there is so much harmful information out there. I really want to help women know that one, it's okay to have goals and want to make changes. And two, you don't have to hate yourself in the process. You know, um, don't have to starve yourself. Don't have to harm yourself. Um, now I have a lot of clients who also train jujitsu. And with those clients, um, we do incorporate jujitsu into the coaching, but it's not like, you know, I, like I was telling you guys earlier, it's not like, here's how to do an arm bar from clothes guard, right? Like, I like the technical stuff come from your academy. If you have questions, I'm happy to answer it or point you to videos. But we really do a lot of more of the strategic stuff, how to get the most out of training. If they do compete, we create competition toolboxes to lead up to competition. We reflect on that, how it went after competition. So we can either repeat what worked or change what we need to improve. Um, I watch the competition footage and I'll give feedback on what I think will help. Um, so I was giving the example of, I've, I have one girl who sent me competition footage and she was getting in such good positions and then she would freeze. And so I gave her my fuck around and find out method where she had to only play top for the next week. And she could not stay in one position for longer than three seconds. And I'd rather her make the wrong decision than make no decision. And, um, so we continue to do exercises like that to improve on the mat. So, um, yeah, strength, nutrition, and jujitsu or any combination of the three. That's awesome. Yeah. Just for us to finish, Rose, what does BJJ hood means for you? What does BJJ hood mean to me? Man, I think it's just like, like your crew, right? Like the people who, uh, understand, like if you think about the people in a neighborhood, right? They're all kind of uh, in this community together um, and they go off and do their own thing do it during the day, but they always come back to their hood. And I guess that was the first thing that I thought of when I heard BJJ hood. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Rose, thank you so much for taking the time talking to us today. Well, we had a lot of fun talking to you. I mean, I can talk yeah. for myself. <laughs> I, think, I think she liked it too. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for taking the time talking to us bringing a little bit of your experience. Um, and I heard in the beginning too, we were not recording, but you said that you have different coaching programs that are coming up. So um, if people are interested in seeing her work, just make sure you follow her on Instagram and also go check her on her coaching program. I'm sure it's awesome too. Thank you. Thank, thank you. For yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. If you, Watch this episode now. Make sure you share with a friend. Um, I'm sure you guys can learn something from it today from Rose. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and YouTube. On YouTube, we have subtitles in Portuguese for all interviews. And also make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, and YouTube again. So you don't miss any of the new episodes every Thursday. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Would you like to share your story? Email us at bjjhoodpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at bjjhoodpodcast.